The opinions of the commentator or commentators are solely those of the commentators and not of CJAD 800 or Bell Media. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. How are you doing, Josh? Ni hao, Dan. Welcome back. Thank you. So you were in uh, Hong Kong again for your annual trip. Uh, how did it go? It was awesome. And now that it's 8 a.m. over there, I'm I'm just waking up. Uh, but it, it was an absolutely uh, incredible trip. Um, as usual, there's always so much activity that goes on there, even though there are still some protests. Uh, business is absolutely ongoing. It doesn't slow down. Uh, Hong Kong always finds a way to get things done. Nice. And so why do you go every year? Well, there, there's Canada and Hong Kong have a great working and business relationship together. There are many companies that do business uh, on both sides of the, of the water. And, uh, and of course, it's a great access into mainland China. There's no doubt that uh, certainly in the SME realm and the, with the entrepreneurs, they, I feel personally they can minimize their risk in doing business in China, uh, sourcing, selling, whatever it is, by going through Hong Kong. Because Hong Kong has that Eastern, Western understanding uh, of how they connect. And, uh, and sometimes or most of the time, it makes life a hell of a lot easier. All right, we'll get to our profile of the evening in a moment. From Show & Tell, we'll have uh, Sarah Shiner on the program. But first, uh, should we go through some entrepreneurial news of the day? And I think uh, one uh, one unfortunate piece of news that came in the last few days was the uh, the demise of Max, which uh, which is sad for me because I shop Max. Uh, they, they make very nice clothes and nice suits and nice fashions. And, uh, I mean, what's, what's your take on that? Uh, what do you think uh, went wrong? What's, what's going wrong, maybe, with, with fashion retailing these days? Well, I, I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's something wrong with actual fashion retailing, but uh, certainly the signs were on the wall, and and we've kind of uh, alluded to this in in some past shows and news, and and that said, it's a very tough market out there. It is a very tough economy, and certainly there is uh, there is a shortage of consumer dollars getting spent, and there's and probably an excess amount of inventory. Notwithstanding the fact that there's a lot of real estate out there that people got to cover their costs and overhead, so you combine all those together. And it makes for some very difficult economic times as far as retailers go. Mm-hmm. What? Uh, how should retailers adapt? Uh, particularly because I guess we're going more online lately. That's that's not helping either. Um, what, what's your advice for retailers, particularly maybe in in fashion or elsewhere, who uh, who find themselves losing uh, losing some business to the to the online providers? Well, I, I think there are a few things, Dan, and and you know you mentioned online. Uh, there are some store. And Mex was a little bit like that. They had an online. Uh, portion, but I don't think they they tended to it well enough. Uh, you know, retailers, you know, you, you can't ignore the online part of it. There are people that will ultimately come into the store and buy and feel and touch and try it on, but they're going to do a lot of investigating online before they even get to that store. So if you don't have your online presence secure and out there and open and easy to, to browse through, I think your actual bricks and mortar store will suffer. And I know we had that online versus bricks and mortar show uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, but th- there's no doubt that that online, if you're not if you're not present, then how do you drive people to your store? It doesn't you can't drive people as well today as you can with the social media and online advertising. That's certainly where uh, where where that thing happens. Mm-hmm. The other big uh, news item in the last couple of weeks actually has been the price of oil. Um, the price of oil is going down now. This is good news for some, not so good news for others. 
Well, I think from a consumer standpoint, it's finally hitting the pumps at the gas station so people can kind of rest easy a little bit and and put a little, uh, it takes less dollars to fill your tank. Uh, From a a consumer standpoint, in addition to that, uh, or from a business standpoint, it's a lot cheaper for certain companies, the transport companies, the companies that do a lot of deliveries. uh, This is certainly going to help their business and help the bottom line. Now, will they pass all their savings on to the consumer? They were certainly ready uh, and and ready and, and quick, and they quickly raised their prices when the oil prices were up, the gas prices were up. Will they reduce them so quickly on their way down? I'm not sure. Uh, but that that's on the consumer side. That's on the, the kind of the entrepreneurial side. From a stock market aspect, uh, there's certainly some hits too. I mean, the TSX, uh, about a quarter, uh, a little bit less, but out of a, about a quarter of the TSS is, TSX is energy stocks mm-hmm. and uh, oil being a big part of it. So you're going to have drop in oil prices. You're going to have drop in revenues, drop in some of their profits. It's still very costly to extract oil out of the grand and out of, out of the tar sands. And so that's, that's not great for the stock stock market and maybe some of people's savings. But of course, this is just a short time uh, aspect. And, and you know, if you're in investing for the long haul, things will rebound. But when you talk about the price of oil, I mean, it is it, it does have an impact, uh, a very wide impact, because a lot of stuff is made from oil and, and almost everything is transported, really. Uh, so that needs uh, that has that, that all factors in, right? So when, when it goes up, the cost of everything goes up. And and, and transportation and logistics. I mean, if you if you look at the the textile industry from from many many moons ago here in Montreal, a lot of those companies are now design and logistics. So when you have those logistics and transport expenses going through the moon, uh, as well as the dollar, that uh, that certainly affects it. Uh, so it's it's. I would say it's pretty good from an import aspect, maybe a little bit. Uh, different from an export a- aspect, uh, but when you factor in the dollar, uh, it's it's all up and down. Let's get to this uh, this other uh, trend, which is kind of scary, and uh, we've talked about this on the exchange, but the drones. And uh, <laughs> drones really freak me out because uh, this is something that's becoming more and more common. Amazon is launching a drone program. Uh, there are there are others uh, that are sort of into this. Um, and there's one story this week about drones helping to um, sell homes. Uh, there was a drone, actually, that, uh, that injured an American person, uh, I think, just the other day. Um, what's your take on, on the drone revolution and how businesses are going to, uh, sort of use this for, uh, for, I mean, a number of different things for surveillance, for delivery of goods. Well, other than the, the cool factor and, and, you know, my, my 14 year old son, uh, Oliver would love to have a drone, uh, because it's just a lot of fun. He play with his, on his iPad and, and circle about, but from a commercial standpoint, I think there's so many areas that are untapped and it's just beginning to get out there. You mentioned the real estate. Uh, for people that that want to look at real estate and homes and and they don't live in town because there's a lot of movers coming in from out of town or moving, they can actually go onto real estate website and the 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 real estate broker can do a kind of circle around the house outside, create the video, put it online, and say here come come visit around the house. They can do that inside too around the house mm-hmm. if the if you really wanted to. That's just one aspect. Anything that you want to visualize from a distance and you want that video capacity, I, I think it just facilitates the whole process. You don't have to hire a special photographer or videographer, kind of throw the drone up in the air. The camera equipment and the and the, the resolution is is certainly improving. And that that is certainly going to be an aspect used in many different forms of, of selling throughout uh, throughout Canada. Here's the story that I, I was alluding to, TG, TGI Fridays. Uh, they had a, a mistletoe drone. So it had a little drone hovering above the mm-hmm. tables, hanging mistletoe. And of course, 
batteries went dead or something. Yeah. And yeah, someone and was they injured, just unfortunately. <laughs> but so. but the the drones also have a capacity that if you if the battery doesn't die and you do lose control of the remote, they do hover. They do hover in the air. They only fall when the battery gets, they'll, they'll stay in the same spot until the battery's dead. So if you happen to drop your remote or or kind of lose it, the drone won't fall down. It's only when the battery dies. So you do got to keep it charged so it doesn't fall into your pasta or into your kissing phase or whatever you are <laughs> if you have mistletoe. Good to know. And I'm sure there'll be some regulation eventually. There's even, uh, they're regulated in some states, I believe, like aircraft. So that's going to be another challenge is dealing with with government and the regulation of having these little things. There's got there's to be privacy issues. Uh, you know, in, in the real estate side, is if you're going around, you're sending your drone to go outside the house. I believe there was one case in Australia where the drone went around to, to, to view the home and they, they put it online. But it happens that the woman of the house was sunbathing in her backyard and the drone flew over and caught mm. a picture and a glimpse. Uh, she was on her front, so it didn't catch anything too uh, too serious, yet uh, it, it was still post- posted up on a billboard somewhere. So the drones and the privacy and the cameras out there, it's something that's definitely got to be regulated at some point. Coming up on today's Entrepreneur, a profile for this evening, we'll have Sarah Sh- Shiner in from a Show & Tell Fashion. So we'll talk a bit about the fashion business uh, with, with Sarah in a moment. It's 7.15 right now. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 720 on CJAD 800, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And let's introduce our guest for the evening, Josh. Her name is Sarah Shiner of Show & Tell Fashion. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. So easiest question of the night. Tell us about yourself and about Show & Tell Fashion. So Show & Tell Fashion is a bi-coastal distribution company. My partner and I started the company in uh, late 2008, and we have the exclusive distribution rights to uh, about 12 American, European, and uh, brands from Australia. We do clothing, accessories, and footwear, and we have some of the most sought-after brands um, in the world that we have the exclusive rights to here in Canada. Like what kind of brands, if you don't mind saying? Might so as well. we most of our brands are contemporary women's brands. We do um, one one of our biggest brands is a line called Bailey Forty Four. We do another great line from LA called Bella Doll. A great denim line called Black Orchid Denim. Two shoe lines. Uh, we do everything from a great scarf line called Front Row Society from Germany to hanky panky underwear, which um, is very popular. Is is obvious what it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now Speaks for itself. Only only ladies fashions. Um. Right now, we do, I'd say 95% of what we do is ladies' fashion. We don't have any men's brands per se. Uh, we have dabbled with that in the past. And, um, you know, we really focus on this niche of women's stuff. And we have, um, you know, we do it well and we kind of stick to what we do well. Now, you got it in 2008. What were you doing before? What was the impetus to start this on your own with, with your partner? So, um before before we started Show & Tell Fashion, I worked for another distribution company and started working there when I was very young. I worked there for eight years and started at the bottom up. When, you know, when I started working there, my parents had to help support me. I was you know making $22,000 a year, mm-hmm. whatever it was, and worked my way up through the ranks from customer service to sales to managing. 
And uh, I worked really hard, you know, like 60 hours a week or whatever it was. And, you know, I was always a hard worker. And wherever I, whatever I did, I put 110% into it. And it just got to a point where, um, you know, that was a family-run business. I wasn't part of their family. And I wanted to take the next step and do something on my own. It was the year I just turned 30 and uh, was engaged, was about to get married, and basically said, you know, if I don't do it now, I'm going to have to wait another 10 years until I start my own company. So took a leap of faith in a really bad economic climate and started show and tell fashion. Did that make a, a difference? I mean, I, I, I guess it didn't, but going into that bad climate, that end of 2008, starting your business, uh, did that throw you off at all? I mean, because you were, did you plan before the crash hit and then you kind of went through it? No, not at all. Uh, we started the company, we, we decided, I decided to stop working where I had been working for eight years at a stable job, making a good salary. Um, quite abruptly, I decided to, to stop doing it. And it could either have been a really good thing or a really bad thing starting when I did. You know, I saw it as there was only one way to go. It was, you know, we're starting in a, in a poor economic climate. So hopefully things were going to get better, which, which they did and have. So there was only one way to go, which was up. Um, but a lot of people did look at me and say, wow, you're crazy. You know, you have job security, you have a great job, you travel all over the world, you work with great brands and great people, and you have nothing to worry about. You you can go home and sleep every night. But for me, it was basically I knew, you know, I had this idea in my mind to start my own thing and, you know, was very motivated by the people around me to do this. And I just did it. Sarah Shiner, our guest from Show & Tell Fashion on today's Entrepreneur at 723. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. Our guest this evening, Sarah Shiner of Show & Tell Fashion, started the company in 2008. And uh, Sarah, when you started it then, I mean, did you think, oh my God, it's, it's we're in the middle of a uh, potential, you know, recession or even worse? Uh, did that, uh, that scare you a little bit or did you just say sort of bring it on and uh, I believe in my company and let's do this? That's basically how it went. You know, we we decided to start the company and dove right in. We uh... the, now a, a big part of your business or the part of your business is brands, bringing brands to the retailer. Uh, but that must, I mean, how do you search out though? I mean, I got a lot of questions about finding them and rights and all that. But let's start with with the first aspect of how do you identify which brands you feel are the best for you to take on. Brands are definitely the key part to our business. Um, a big part of it is finding the right brand. Uh, for us, it's about having brands that complement each other but don't compete. So it's not having 17 different sweater lines and you know hoping that our buyers will buy one of the 17. It's about having the right sweater line. Um, and so we basically have an idea of a brand that we want to go after. And especially at the beginning, there were certain brands that we had tar we targeted right away. And we knew we, we needed to get these brands and we wanted anchor brands at the beginning um, that would draw other brands to us and draw the right customers to us as well. So, um, but now it's a lot of it is about the connections. And, you know, the fashion industry is a small industry. People are moving around all the time, especially in, in the United States. You know, someone might work at one company for a year and then they're on to the next company the next year. And sometimes it's more important to than the brand, than the actual brand itself, but it's actually the people that you work with and the relationships that you have with these people. So when, when you're looking for brands in, in other markets and looking to bring them here to Canada, how do you determine, uh, you know, just because something works in another market doesn't necessarily mean it'll work here. How do you come to the conclusion that it might work here? 
Well, a lot of these brands are global brands, what we call global brands, so brands that a lot of them already have some sort of presence in Canada already. We've made the mistake uh, of bringing in brands, let's say, from Europe or Australia or other places in the world besides the United States where brands were not established yet in the States. And Canada leans so much on the U.S. and we're such followers of the U.S. that it's really so important to have brands that are already established there. As a new company, was it easy to sign your first brand or two? So the, what was the challenge? The, the first two brands that we that we got, we got on the same trip. We quit our jobs. We flew out to New York and L.A. And basically, we weren't leaving until we had certain brands. Uh, one of them was a denim line, Black Orchid Denim, which is we still do today. And the other was Bailey 44, which is another brand that we still do today. Um, both of these brands, Black Orchid was a new startup denim line from a denim designer guru who had uh, made many other lines become popular in the U.S. And Bailey 44 was a brand that was quite popular worldwide and selling some of the top retailers in Canada. But we felt there was huge, huge potential for us to bring this brand to the next level here. They were selling stores in Montreal, Toronto and Vancouver and Canada is much bigger than those three cities. Was it tough to sell yourself? I mean, and do you, is it, is it exclusive rights that you were trying to get? Yes, all of the brands that we bring into Canada, we have exclusive rights to, which is key. It's, you know, so if anyone wants to buy these brands, they have to go through us to buy the brands for Canada. And what about the rights? Now, there's a, there's a certain aspect. Do you, are there certain minimum guarantees? I mean, you know, we don't have to go through numbers at the moment, but did you have to guarantee, you know, to, in order to sell yourself, guarantee certain amounts to them? For some brands, there are guarantees. For some brands, they're not. Some brands want us to grow very slowly and strategically. Other brands, you know, we've had to go to trade shows and, you know, like there's a certain brand that we really, really want and we have to write upfront orders and, you know, give our visa number or write a check for X amount of dollars in order to secure a brand. More with Sarah Schreiner of Show & Tell Fashion in a moment, but first at 7.30. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36, welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller, and our guest this evening, Sarah Shiner of Show & Tell Fashion. And Josh, uh, another great example of how entrepreneurs sometimes working in an industry that they love, uh, learning the ropes from someone else, making the mistakes at someone else's company, and then saying, you know what, now's the time, I can go out on my own. And we were talking about brands before because what drives uh, show and tell fashion is certainly the brands that they select. But, you know, like with any entrepreneur in any business, it's never just about the product. You always got to have that service. You always got to find a way to differentiate yourself. So from a service aspect, because I know a lot of it's about products, Sarah, but from a service aspect, how much do you focus on that? I think uh, one of the biggest secrets to our success has been the service that we give to our customers. There's a lot of competition out there. And as you guys were talking about earlier tonight, retail, the retail market is really, really tough. Um, and you really have to go the extra mile now to make sure that your product, not only do you sell your product to the retailers, but that the product actually retails at the retail level. Um, myself, my sales team, the team that we work with, we work so hard to make sure that uh the staff, the staff on the sales floor at, at at our retailers is actually selling the product. I always tell everyone that our best salespeople are the people on the floor selling the product. We do product knowledge seminars, give product away to the right people, trunk shows, 
Um, and we really go the extra mile to make sure that when a cu- customer goes into a store, they're buying our products as opposed to somebody else's. Do you feel that the your, your customers or the people that work there, do they take advantage of you sometimes like that? I'm sure we've gotten taken advantage <laughs> of once or twice along the way, but um, you know that's all part of the game. And that just means one extra person is wearing our, our jeans instead of somebody else's. No, great, great advertising, assuming they look good in the jeans. But yeah, great advertising. Exactly. Now, you're dealing in, in products, you're selling to retailers. The retailers don't want to hold a lot of inventory, at least not a lot these days. They really want to buy, put it in their store and get it moved out. Inventory management for you has got to mm-hmm. be another huge key factor in running your business. Yeah. How are how you how do you deal with inventory management and and how did you kind of when you first started you know you had to manage it and where are you different today? Yeah. So I guess you know the old school way of of this the garment industry was always you know buy tons of inventory always have extra stock so if people need more product you can service them the next day. Whereas now and the way we built our company is to keep inventory at a minimum. It's you can always get more product if you need it. There's always, you know, something else to give the consumer. So we keep our inventory very, very low. And I think something else that's really changing is that we're now delivering new product to stores much more often than than ever before. You know, some of our brands have new fresh deliveries every month, some of them more than every month. So I think that's, you know, very key in, in inventory management as well. Are retailers buying fewer units at a time? Um, kind of so, minimum order quantities, you know, are they are they getting affected? We, you know, some are and some aren't. There's some retailers that are doing really, really well and they're with, with, with a lot of brands and they're ready to step up to the plate and put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and, and order up front. Other people are much more, you know, worried and buy less up front and hope that, you know, we have the inventory for them. Now, one of the aspects <laughs> that, that I've certainly found interesting is you are located in Montreal yeah. and Vancouver. Right. So this bi-coastal, bi-coastal. that's it. You, and you mentioned earlier, and we mentioned it on the on the promo, uh, this bi-coastal coastal aspect has got to be a bit of a challenge. How do you operate two offices in two completely different parts of the country? I mean, I, I, I've been to both parts of the country, mm-hmm. and there is a, a bit of a different attitude uh, or yeah. culture uh, from one, one place to the other. How do you manage and make sure the culture stays consistent? Well, it was actually very strategic when, well, first of all, my partner is from Vancouver, and he lives in Vancouver, so... That was the only way that this partnership was going to work. And part of the success to the company is because we don't live in the same city. And, you know, we can speak on the phone 100 times a day, but don't have to see each other 100 times a day. Um, But also, you know, strategically, a lot of the brands that we're bringing in are from, you know, the goods are coming in from either Australia, Asia, California, all West Coast, our warehouses on the West Coast. A lot of the big retailers are based on the East Coast. So by having the office, you know, offices and showrooms and, and a warehouse out West, but everything in both cities on both coasts of the country, we're really able to service the entire country properly, have salespeople on both coasts. You know, we can simultaneously be selling in two cities on opposite sides of the world, essentially, at the same time. Now, speaking of salespeople and effectively human resources, do is there a lot of interaction between your East Coast team and your West yes. Coast team? Yeah. Do they get along? Are they very different? How do you keep them kind of working together when you know, they're it's, mo- it's thousands half, of miles? Half of the people in our Montreal office have never met the people in the Vancouver office and vice versa. We're actually having a Christmas party next week where everyone will be together. They're all coming down. But it's all, you know, it's so easy now between 
Skype and telephones and email and iChat and blah, 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 you know, we're in constant communication all day long. And for the most part, it's, it's you know, seamless and everyone gets along very well. Now, part of it has to do with the relationship between you and your partner that's in Vancouver, because as we all know, culture starts at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you meet your partner and do you, are you different in your roles or do you complement each other well? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we met because we, we both have worked in this industry for a long time. Um, so in our in our past life, we, we work together, um, but we have very different roles. He's more behind the scenes, logistics, back end, warehouse management, so on and so forth, whereas I'm more the front person. Um, I manage our sales team and still do sales for a large part of the company. And also, um, I'm the one has the liaison between us and all of our master, the master licensors, all the brands that we that we deal with. You collaborate well. Are there times? Are there times that you disagree? <laughs> yeah, we we disagree probably once a day on something small and significant. But it's you know it's it, we it's it's a it's a very good partnership and we get along really well and you know I think we complement each other well and. How do you solve problems, especially when you're when you're not sort of face to face? Is there is there a bit of an obstacle that that uh, maybe less of that that human aspect to managing that uh, that that's lost, or do you guys sort of? Define your responsibilities. Clearly. I think you know we we trust each other. We 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 know what each of our roles are, and um, you know I let him his do his thing, he lets me do my thing, and you know obviously all the big decisions we do together. But I think we really have very defined roles in the company, and we do what each of us does well. Do you formally get together though, or do you really do everything many things remotely? Uh, a bit of both. We, you know, definitely when we started the company, we were in, in each other's city every six weeks at the beginning, or you know, meeting in New York or LA or wherever it was to make sure that you know everything was set up properly. I'd say that was for the at least the first two to three years of the company, and you know, as life goes on, I have kids, he has kids, so on and so forth. We see each other less and less, but there's always you know a bunch of times throughout the year where we're together and 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 stuff like that. But I mean, it's so easy now with modern technology and. And, and I think, Dan, we, we hear that, you know, for those that, that have different locations, for those entrepreneurs and our guests that have had different locations, Montreal and elsewhere, uh, it has actually, technology has come up and, and it's been hugely important and hugely advantageous to use the, the Skypes and the iChats and, and the messaging service. And people have been able to connect and keep in contact, use the cloud as yeah. uh, as people have seen and heard, I'm, I'm sure you use. And, and I think that's that's a hugely interesting and helpful aspect in, in any in any part of any business and uh, we're going to kind of chat about that a little more after after the break all right today's entrepreneur on cjd 745 For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, Sarah Shiner of Show & Tell Fashion, our guest this evening, and let's bring in Kevin Ammerman to talk about IT. Uh, He's with Fuller Landau as well. How's it going, Kevin? Fine, thank you. Good. So Josh, we'll talk about a bit of uh, doing business remotely. Well, now that we were just talking with Sarah about her bi-coastal business, uh, we've seen and heard from many entrepreneurs that not only are they traveling throughout the world and want to stay connected, but they also sometimes have two office locations uh, or more. 
and what are kind of the challenges from an IT aspect to, you know, connect with your data, stay safe and all that. So we'll turn to Kevin, our uh, resident expert who explains things always so well and uh, let him take a ball with that. Well, it doesn't matter how many locations you have. As long as everybody stays put, things are pretty safe, right? It's uh, As long as everything is sort of in one place, connecting two offices securely is, is not too difficult to do. Um, it's when people start moving around that things get interesting. So uh, business people traveling from one office to another, traveling through airports, traveling through hotels. And as we try to enable this kind of thing and move more and more information out of our secure offices and into the cloud, that's where things get a little bit more uh tricky from a security standpoint from an access from the speed of access to information it's all of the above so um of course people are pretty demanding when they're on the road and they want things to be fairly easy to access i'm one of those <laughs> and we don't want to put too many hurdles in their way but we got to make sure that stuff stays stays secure so what we're finding is people have to juggle passwords and sometimes they're using security tokens or other sort of two-factor authentication mechanisms and it is a little bit tricky especially when you're traveling to foreign countries that might have different access uh, restrictions on internet access uh, it can get a little bit tricky um, some locations don't allow firewall access or sorry uh, vpn access uh, which can really put a damper on your business activities now vpn uh, you know people hear it a lot but what exactly is vpn how does that help entrepreneurs uh, well, not only entrepreneurs, but travelers in general, VPNs are really handy because they allow you to have a secure connection to some place that you trust. So it allows you to tunnel all of your information and protect it from prying eyes. But as I say, some places lock it down so that you can't establish those secure connections. By coastal, Sarah, you, you yeah. know, you've been doing this uh, a number of years. What's been the, the best or most advantageous for what do you use to kind of make sure all your information's uh, accessible from both coasts? Um, well, one of the things that helps us the most is our, our inventory system that we use. That is actually a web-based system, so we can access it from anywhere in the world. Uh, it's great for when we're traveling at trade shows and, uh, you know, if I'm going from, you know, to, to Toronto for the day and seeing a, a customer, I need to check quickly on the spot from whether it's my iPhone, my laptop, my iPad, or anyone else's computer. I can just log on to our inventory system and have up-to-date access to the minute of exactly what's in stock or any of our line sheets or any of the pertinent information that we need. Today's uh, Entrepreneur on CJAD. More after the break on IT and, uh, and working remotely with Kevin in just a moment at 7.53. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.56, welcome back to today's Entrepreneur. In studio with us, Sarah Shiner of Show & Tell Fashion and Kevin Ammerman talking about IT. Uh, Kevin is an IT expert with Fuller Landau. And uh, working remotely certainly can, can present its challenges, Kevin. Um, what, what are some tips maybe that you have to sort of make it as, um, as seamless as possible, make it as, as personal as possible? Uh, well, one of the things that we found is as easy as we try to make connecting, especially to these new cloud-based services, that can really open up, even even if you're using a secured service, uh, like uh, the little lock is showing in your browser toolbar to in in indicate that it's an encrypted connection. If somebody's spying, they can still tell where you're connecting to, and that sort of uh, opens up a target. Um, this is one reason why we like to use VPNs as much as possible when people are traveling, because it really does hide uh, what you're looking at. So if there are prying eyes out there, they can see that you're connecting to your home office. But aside from that, they really can't see too much else what's going on. 
And what if you lose a device and you have a lot of information on it? So you have a lot, you're using it for business, laptop, phone, whatever it is, and you happen to leave it in a taxi or something. <laughs> uh, Not that Sarah's ever done that before. Never. There, it, it, once it's lost, you're in a bit of trouble, but there's some things you can do in advance. So make sure there's a pin code on it. Um, you can make sure that the, the device is encrypted and you can also try to limit the amount of data that you keep on the device. So rely on the cloud. Um, make sure that your device is, is clean and tidy and that it has a passcode on it. And then use it to call home and get the information that you need. So use those corporate intranets and use those cloud-based services to give you the data you need rather than keeping it on the phone itself. And the aspect I love so much, twiddle notes. Mm -hmm. This week in data loss. Well, uh, there hasn't been too much lately, Kev, but it, uh, there has been something. It's been quiet. Uh, Sony did manage to lose a little bit of data, uh, mostly on their own employees this time, which was a, a new one. At least it's not affecting consumers quite so directly. <laughs> but it was tens of thousands of records, and it, it did include a lot of personal information on their, on their uh, internal operations and their staff. And essentially nothing a consumer can do. Um, well, when their employers are losing the data... Uh, there's not much those employees could do, that's for sure. And uh, again, it, as a consumer, you can do everything right and still be a subject of a data loss. So you got to be cautious. And use lots of different passwords so they can't gain access to information online. And using a special credit card, a dedicated credit card for online access that carries zero balance, that's a good idea too. And don't anger North Korea. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it's probably a, a, good, a good thing not to do. Uh, so as, exactly. <laughs> so as we come up to the last moment of the show, we're going to uh, turn to Sarah and ask her, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? I guess the uh, biggest piece of advice I could give to anyone would be to just follow your dreams and to never compare yourself to the competition. Just keep your eye on the prize and keep moving forward. And I think, Dan, that's, that's certainly what we see from a lot of entrepreneurs is, and, and Sarah's not the first one to start in a, in a difficult economic time, but when, they, when there is a plan, and, uh, and even though it changes, because plans aren't static and they should change because right. life changes, is, is that they do have this, this conviction, they believe in what they're doing, they tweak it along the way, they have the right product, they go with the right service, and, uh, and, and that's what really works. I'm sure, Sarah, the original plan you had might have been tweaked tweaked along the way a hundred times <laughs> <laughs> and a hundred times might be not often enough i mean yeah. uh, entrepreneurs truly reinvent themselves as well so uh, i think that's great thank you sarah for for joining and sharing that with yeah. us thank you guys thanks uh, sarah and uh, kevin ammerman as well we'll see you back here uh, next monday night 7 p.m and it's our last show of the year and uh, we're doing joe's prop shop which joe's, sounds prop, really joe's cool. prop house and, prop, house. Uh, prop house and uh, yeah it's a very interesting business been around a little while and you know if you want to get some uh, some couches or something for corporate events or pictures or weddings or what have you we're going to have fun finding out what, what they can do sounds good we'll see you back here next Monday night at 7 the exchange with Lee's Ravery is next it's 8 o'clock <laughs>